Hello, I'm your host, Vlad Yunusov. This episode is supported by my law practice. Once in a while, I record the show for you. I love it, but my day job is commercial litigation, and I've been doing it for 12 years. I'd like you to know that your referrals are safe with me. You can find my contact information on my website at lotsio.ca. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, this is another episode of the Unisoft question, and this is a very special episode. Today, we have the Attorney General of Ontario here with us, Doug Downey. Hello, Minister. Good morning, Mr. Unisoff. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Minister. So Mm -hmm. it's really great to have you here today. And uh, the main reason why it's really great to have you here today is because a lot of people are looking forward to this interview. And uh, of course, most of them are going to be lawyers because this is a show for lawyers, Ontario lawyers, also outside of Ontario, but also judges. I know that uh, judges of all levels of court will watch this. I also know that um, a lot of organizations supporting our justice system will watch this. And finally, I'm sure that ordinary Ontarians, uh, your constituents, perhaps other uh, ordinary Ontarians will watch this because so many people are participants of the justice system. And uh, this is crucial for the government to give feedback and to uh, hear from the people. And this is why we're here today. And that's why I'm so thankful to you for doing this. I I was just gonna say, I I was just gonna talk to you, but now I feel all this pressure, all these people are watching. (laughs) Oh yeah, they're watching. Well, not right now, we're recording, but we will post this. Uh, you know, I, I, I really like to start with uh, where you come from. People want to know about you as a person, as a human being. My first question is almost always, where are you from? Minister Downey, from, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from a small town uh, called Bond Head. It's, it's north of Toronto. It used to be very north of Toronto, but now Toronto's creeping in. Um, as you go north on Highway 400, you see a great big flag at the Husky. Well, I grew up two miles, two kilometers, actually, uh, west of that in a little town. It's a, you know, a little subdivision and then farms around it. Um, it was a great, great place to, to grow up. Was it near Bradford? I went to high school in Bradford, so I played hockey in Bradford. Uh, so Bondhead is sort of connected to Bradford socially. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, and today it's, it's a Toronto suburb pretty much, right? A lot of commuters. My dad still lives in the house I grew up in. A lot of the original neighbors are still there, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it was a great place, the, the Bondhead Golf Course. Uh, I've never golfed that golf course. I used to farm those fields. Uh, at oh, wow. School. So. Talk about your dad. This is really interesting. Uh, who is your dad? What did he do? What impact did he have on you uh, growing up? And then yeah, we'll talk well, about your mom, of course, too. Sure. Yeah, I know. Huge, huge influence. My, my dad drove trains for a living uh, for 35 years. He's an engineer. Um, a real camaraderie with, with the other engineers. Uh, it, it, it just it is that way in, in locomotives. Um, when I used to tell people that my dad was an engineer, they'd say, oh, what kind? I'd say, locomotive. He drove trains. It's very cool. It was very cool. 
but he uh, he grew up in in Belleville area um, and spent uh, many years of his life so shore Quebec as well. Um, his parents died when he was very young, and so he was uh, he went and joined the Navy uh, for for a couple of years, and then uh, afterwards joined the railroad. And he's uh, you know great great guy, just fantastic, full of principle, hardworking, uh, handy. He can build anything. Uh, yeah, real influence. We all want a friend like that, I think. Yeah. Talk about your mom. Yeah, so my, my mom uh, also grew up, she grew up in, in a little town called Ameliasburg, um, which is in Prince Edward County. Uh, she was the youngest of three. Her father passed, he was a doctor uh, in a small town, and he passed when she was two. He had contracted something from one of his patients or one of the hospitals and uh, didn't work out. Uh, her mom was tough. My grandmother was a tough lady. Um, raised the three kids. And then my mom went on to become a nurse and she traveled with her, her nursing friends uh, before they got married, before my mom and dad got married. And uh, yeah, just gentle soul. After, after nursing for a number of years, she felt she couldn't really help people the way she wanted to. And she went back and took training and she got into uh, family counseling, into victim services. She was one of the founders of the York Region Abuse Program. Um, and just really uh, very compassionate, very insightful woman. She passed in 2011, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, your mom was uh, a nurse, um, really uh, someone who served the community. Your dad was an engineer. He served the community in his own way. You chose political science for your undergrad. How did that happen? That's a great question. You know, nobody's asked me these questions since I got elected. Um, <laughs> I actually, it kind of chose me. I, I was in high school in the time when they were making OACs, when you could go, they wanted people to start to go in four years, but I was the first year of that. So I was really supposed to be five. I did some night courses, summer courses. I was eager to get out. I had done a student exchange to Spain. I'd done some other really interesting things. I wanted to get out in the world. Um, so I, I finished high school in the four years, uh, but then didn't get into university until late August, because of course I had to do night courses and summer courses to get there. So I went into a general arts degree because that's all that was available, but my plan was to become a chartered accountant. Um, my sister was on that track. She happens to be a chartered accountant now, along with my nephew. Um, but I was up late at night, many nights in a row with a good buddy of mine a guy that I ha just happened to move into a house. He was in one of the rooms. I was in another room arguing politics and history at three in the morning. And he was in poli-sci. His name is Andrew Elric. And I said, That's, this is my path. Because I loved it. The geography, history, the, 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 you know. But I didn't plan to be an elected politician. That wasn't the goal at all. It was to more be on the academic side. But the backdrop to that, I'd actually been a page in Queens Park uh, when I was in grade eight. Uh, 1984. Um, and in that time, in the legislature, Bill Davis was premier. And of course, Frank Miller was beside him. He became premier. Mike Harris and Ernie Eads were back row. They became premiers. David Peterson was there and Bob Ray was there. So there were six premiers in that space when I was there. That had to have had some sort of effect. Wow. Yes, that was intense. That was very dense. But uh, the interesting thing about you, after you got your BA in political science, 
you got three more degrees. You got a master's from Brock. You got an LLB from Dalhousie and you got an LLM from Osgood. And all of them had something to do with law. But your first degree, the MA, was in judicial administration. I, I didn't even know that subject existed. So what was that about? It, it's like public administration, but for courts. A very unique program, Dr. Carl Barr, uh, who uh, is very well respected around the world, uh, had developed the program. And there were six people per year in that program. Uh, it, it, again, was part of the, the administration. I had worked for a couple of summers in as a court clerk, taking paper filings over the counter. Um, and so I thought this this seemed like a fit for me. It was I wanted to go into the administration and make some change because uh, I, I knew things weren't weren't working quite right. And um, so I applied to the program, got into the program, and uh, Dr. Barr, who I'm still in touch with to this day. Uh, ran just this amazing program. It has since been transferred to, to York uh, as a program as part of the public admin. Um, but yeah, it, there are some really, some people that you would know who have been through the program. Uh, Lynn Norris, who's helping with a uh, real leader in government on, on change and, and some others who have been through the program before me. Um, so yeah, it just, I gravitated to it. I don't know why. I don't know why. Judge Kovacs at the time said to me, uh, he was teaching a civil procedure. He came in as a guest lecturer and he said to me, you should be in law school. I said, I don't want to be a lawyer. I, I want to go in and make change. He said, when you realize you should be a lawyer, you call me and I will write you a letter. And so when I did call him eventually, we may get to that. Uh, he said, where am I sending it? First thing out of his mouth. You know, I, the gravitation is a good word because your education looks like uh, this this uh, spring you you're pulling away from law but the law is pulling you back so you try political science you try judicial administration every step you're getting closer and then you finally get a law degree from dalhousie and then you uh get a specialized degree from osgood so i obviously at some point you decided to be a lawyer and you practice law for a long time how long uh was it 16 years or 17 years right yeah i got i finished at dell in 97 and then you start articling um my intent was the reason to go to law school for me was because working as a registrar i realized i couldn't make change in the system without the law degree i needed the credibility i realized all the decision makers by and large were lawyers either judges or lawyers by definition have a law degree so i I really went to law school to get the credentials to be able to go toe to toe to make the change. But I came out and I articled and I fell in love with the practice of law. It, it, you know, just the clients, the, the stories, the helping people. Um, and so, yeah, I practiced from 97, of course, and then the way our system works, I got called in early 99 and then practiced up until I, I ran in 2018. You know, I don't think a lot of people know this about you, but you are a certified specialist in real estate. And uh, you, I assume you practice real estate uh, law for all these years, transactions. Why real estate? I, I, it has deadlines. Uh, it's a positive area of law 99% of the time. Uh, you really are helping people with the biggest, often the first time they come in, in contact with, with the system, uh, with, with the law. Um, and it allowed me to compartmentalize. I, I knew that I could, I could do other things that mattered to me, community things and, and uh, commit to projects because I could control my time a little bit more. 
with with real estate and I just sort of had, it's like jigsaw puzzles for me I I just felt like I had a mind for it I gravitated to it that corporate law um, but I've argued in front of the court of appeal uh, I've, I've done litigation I've you know been up at whatever hours writing factums you know I do have an appreciation for for that side of it uh, the opportunity was there for real estate something that fit and, and I ran with that you ran for office in uh, 2018 you're an MPP. When you ran for office, did you know that you would be the AG? No, yeah, I, I've been around politics for a long time. I, the one thing I know about politics is I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you do it, you go forward, you, you do it for the right reasons, you do it for the, the things that, that matter to you. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I've lost more things than I've won in terms of campaigns, helping people. Um, I ran campaigns for people that have won and I've run, run them for people that have lost. Um, you just do it out of, out, of, out of passion. And I was hopeful, of course. Um, you know, it, this spot is a natural fit for me. I think I had a whole basket of things I wanted to change. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be here. You might not have known that you would be the AG. You obviously knew that you would represent your constituents that you would serve them, but I, you were also suggesting that you had the sort of bigger vision for uh, Ontario. And uh, I assume, I understand you wanted to serve Ontario uh, somewhere where the justice system is involved, somewhere where um, our legal system is involved. So what was your vision? for our justice system? What values did you have when you were running for office for our, for our justice system? And the reason I'm asking you now, you know, we all have the wisdom of hindsight, but in 2018, this was pre-COVID. And I think it's really important to take a snapshot pre-COVID of what your state of mind was, what your principles and values were for our legal system, and then see how that evolved. Yeah, so the, there's two things that drive me in terms of, of what I'm trying to do in the seat and before the seat. I don't want process to determine outcome if it's not just. It, and and we've, we've had a lot of that in this province where structures and rules dictate the outcome when that's not really the outcome any of us would have picked. Um, so I think we have to right size all of that. And that's that's a pretty simple way to say we've got to change the system. So that's one piece. The other piece that has just been part of uh, my community involvement and everything before this is power differentials, understanding power differentials and whether the person with the greater power is actually leveling it justly. Um, and there are all sorts of examples. I can give you small examples where lawyers, uh, I had one example, my cousin phoned me one day. He said, look, I've got this lady I work with. She doesn't have a lot. She put a down payment on a car. They won't give it back to her. They know they've kind of got her. Is there anything you can do? I said, sure. Let's find out who the lawyer. I phoned the car dealer. Car dealer says, uh, well, it's the way it is. So I said, well, who's your lawyer? I phoned the lawyer. I said, look, here's the deal. You're all the way in Brockville. I'm here in Aurelia. Um, I'll come down any day of the week to have the hearing. So, you know, she's not paying. And that power differential made the difference. They gave her her money back. 
right? And so, and that's a very small one, but our system has to be seen through the lens of, of creating a proper balance for people. And then COVID hit. Tell us about that. Was it like uh, a meteorite or did you have some preparation? Yeah, well, again, hindsight, I mean, nobody, nobody knew it was going to last this long. Um, in the fall of 2019, we had already brought Bill 161, which talked about some, some advancements, some online commissioning, stuff like that. Like I was already wanting to move in that direction. Um, there were projects that have been on the books for a long time that were creeping forward and then COVID hit. And it was a chance to, some people were in shock. Um, some people froze. Uh, and then I was lucky. My team said, here's the opening. Let's do it. Um, and everything's on the table. Instead of saying, instead of saying, let's wait and see, let's, you know, maybe not now. We were like, why not? The, the question is, why not now? Otherwise, we're doing it. And I can tell you, exhilarating time to put all ideas on the table that came from every corner. They came from the judges. They came from uh, the associations, practitioners across the board. And, and I tried to make it clear that communication lines are open. We need to know. What can we do? Um, and I was very fortunate all the way through this process that was not a, a one-month process. Uh, all the way through, I've had the backing of the Premier and my colleagues at Treasury Board, uh, the Finance Department. Uh, we've put a lot of net new money, more than I think the history of, of the province, uh, net new money into justice. And that's helped us do some of the things that we've envisioned. Minister, I practiced law for more than 10 years. All of this time, I was a litigator, commercial litigator. My home is the Superior Court of Justice. Mm -hmm. And I want to give you credit for something that was the biggest thing in the, my entire practice of law and my entire tenure as a lawyer, electronic filing. So I uh, was a computer programmer before law school many years ago for, for a long time. So I understand technology. I understand what it takes to deploy uh, technology products at scale and what can be a bigger scale than the province of Ontario, for example, in Canada. I think it's the biggest thing. I didn't expect it to happen in the next 10, 15 years before COVID. And then it happened very quickly, very, very quickly. I think uh, by August uh, 2020, if I'm not mistaken, it was up and running and it was functional and it's, it's really good right now. So I usually uh, have things to complain about with any technology, with electronic filing, you know, considering it's pretty good. So my question is, is this, now my sources tell me, and I, I would say these are reliable sources, that this system was ready for maybe years and um, that uh, it was not launched for various reasons. But then when COVID hit, there was simply no choice. Either we freeze our justice system and we don't do justice at all, or we launch electronic filing. Is this a fair description of what happened? Uh, I, there was a shift in mindset and, and, and we opened the door and said, why not? There was always a why not. There was always a, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. Here's a glitch. Here's a thing. Here's a whatever. I'm in to get it out there and clean it up. Um, and, and 
you know, I'm not, I wouldn't have the computer programming knowledge that you have, but I spent a lot of time in databases. I spent a lot of time. I was the computer guy at my law firm, right? So something's not working. Get him out of his meeting, go fix it. So, so I have some sense. Um, and and I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. We, we had, I don't know if you remember, again, if you were doing litigation, you, you may not have used them, but there were kiosks in the courthouse and, and doing commercial deals. stuff. you go check the list, whatever. And of course, courthouses were closed. You couldn't get at the list. I'm like, why is this not on the web? Like I, I built web pages. I like I've done all sorts of stuff like that. I said, why is this stuff not on the web? And they said, well, they got this project. They're working on it. Well, I said, can I please speak to the people actually doing it? So we had a Zoom call. I said, can you not? I said, I know in the background of access or whatever, it's just a spreadsheet. Can we not just pull the fields and, and drop them out there? And they said, yeah, we could, but we were going to do that. I said, oh, fine, but let's just do it. They did it in like 10 days. We have the knowledge in the department. We need to give them permission to do what they're good at. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be the full robust documents attached to it for that list. People just needed access to the list. And then there's some positive unintended consequences. I didn't realize that those, those kiosks were being used by reporters. They now had line of sight in real time. Um, and that's great. It's good for openness. So yeah, it's, it's some, some of the stuff's been kicking around for a very long time, but it took a couple of things. It took somebody to say, it's okay to try. And it also took resources. Uh, and uh, I'm all about get it done, get it landed. I have a keen sense. I'm just passing through. Uh, so let's get stuff done while I'm here and, uh, and then go get the resources. And luckily I have support of my colleagues to do that. Well, thank you for your leadership. And uh, I, I will not stop saying how big the electronic filing uh, launch was and how big it is today. And of course, you just reminded me about litigation search and putting it online. That's another huge thing. I would put it uh, uh, I would put it in the third place. And of course, that's the second place is Zoom courts. Now, uh, Zoom courts are amazing. And the feedback I'm getting from my colleagues is we don't want Zoom co courts to go. We want them to stay, especially for scheduling matters. I hear from my criminal uh, uh, lawyer colleagues that they, they do a lot of scheduling and set dates and things like that. I think a lot more than commercial litigators. And they are anxious that it, it is digitized, that it is in Zoom, that they don't have to go and uh, be in uh, lines in the courthouses to do that. So can you tell us about this transition to Zoom? I know that the OBA played a big role. I, I, I talked to um, uh, Colin Stevenson um, uh, about uh, the role that the OBA played. And I talked to some other people about it. But obviously, the province also did something there. So can you tell us some war stories, those early days when you had to essentially revive the justice system from a standstill? Yeah, you know, and I'd be remiss if I didn't add to that people who provided solutions being our chief justices and their teams. Um, you know, Chief Justice Mazinov and Chief Justice Morowitz um, and Chief Justice Strathy. Every, we, you know, it used to be, it's my understanding, that you know, you'd have scheduled meetings. Uh, the AG would have a scheduled meeting with the Chief Justice, and we have we evolved very quickly to texting. Um, you know, and we need a meeting. Okay, and my Chief of Staff Joseph uh, Hillier, uh, he's doing his thing, and and everybody's moving, and and everybody's moving for the same reason, and that that's the remarkable thing about all this. 
There was so much goodwill. And then the OBA steps up. They provided hundreds of licenses, uh, training to, to so many judges. Um, and, and, you know, all the associations stepped up with ideas and with resources. Uh, you know, we just, we just knew it was the right thing. Um, some people have been using Zoom and, and GoToMeeting and different platforms in previous years. Uh, I'd done some, some similar things, uh, but not on the scale. The scale of it was phenomenal. But again, kudos to, to the profession, professionals in, in MAG and in government. Um, they talked in for our, for our part, but there were a lot of hands in there. Um, I'll, I'll give you one really neat example of how unprepared we were. Uh, to try and do bail, we, we, we went to 100% uh, in custody, remand bail um, right away, or very, very early on. But for, for the criminal lawyers who may be watching this, they will know that there are outgoing calls from those phones in the facilities, but there are not incoming calls. And nobody knew what the phone numbers were or the lines. They had to run new lines in some facilities because they couldn't, they couldn't twin the, the wires to figure out how to run some of the, the data in, like really basic stuff. But even then, the people in the field, they got to work and they got it done in record time. Um, and it wasn't perfect, um, but man, it was pretty near uh, in those early days. It was, it was hectic, but it was, uh, again, everybody communicating, which is really key, a lot of goodwill. And I don't think, I, can, I honestly can't think of anything where somebody's being territorial just for the sake of it. I really can't. Like I said, I practice mostly in the superior court, occasionally on the commercial list. So in my, from my perspective, the superior court has largely recovered uh, from uh, the uh, gut punch of COVID. There are still uh, significant trial delays. We'll talk about that. But I hear from my colleagues who practice in small claims court that there are really big problems there. So what's going on with small claims court? I hear they, it's really, the small claims court practice, as I remember it, is really a trial practice. This is where I learned to do trials. And I don't think they're doing trials anymore. What's going on there? Yeah, we've got to, we've got to get small claims court kickstarted and we have to get POA courts up to speed. Those are the two of intense focus right now. Um, the backlogs that we see in other areas are um, nothing compared to what's going on there. That's, that's an intense focus as we speak. It's got to happen. What's the plan? Well, there's several, several parts to it. One is resourcing it, uh, like the human resourcing of it, uh, getting that moving, making sure we have the right clerks and, and the right uh, technology uh, there to happen. And then the other part is working with the, the judiciary to make sure that of all the competing priorities they have, because they have some fairly significant uh, competing priorities uh, that we allocate appropriately there to, to get those moving. Um, so those are the discussions that are happening right now is uh, we're now to the point where facilities are, are reopened, uh, you know, uh, physically some plexiglass is coming down, things are changing. Um, so now that we have facilities reopening, we need to get our satellite courts open and we need to get our small claims and our POAs open. Uh, do you have a shortage of deputy judges in small claims court? Do you need more? I take, I take recommendations from the chief justice on that. I don't level an opinion on how many is enough. Same with, same with JPs. I, I take uh, the recommendations from, from the Chief Justice on how many they need and what they need them. 
Right. So uh, there is also, of course, uh, a, a situation in Superior Court with trial delays, and I understand that. I don't really want to uh, talk about that a lot. Uh, trials were canceled. Uh, trials in Superior Court are long, resource intense, intensive. Now there is a backlog. Um, besides the uh, trial delay situation uh, in Superior Court, uh, and besides the effects of the COVID pa uh, pandemic, I wanted to talk about the general uh, state of the justice system. And I wanted to talk about lawyer competency. I know that it's not exactly uh, within your purview. Uh, you don't regulate lawyers. The Law Society of Ontario regulates lawyers. I interviewed Justice Myers uh, of the Superior Court of Justice last year, and he had something to say about lawyer competency. However, I, even though lawyer competency is not exactly your purview, there's been always talk about government taking over lawyer regulation. And I mean, there are constitutional issues there, of course, but is this on the agenda at all? Is this on the agenda of, uh, uh, of the Ontario government to participate in lawyer regulation in any way, given the access to justice situation, given the lawyer competency situation, or is this not on the agenda at all? Yeah, so I'll... I'll preface it by saying this when in two two terms ago I actually ran for venture um, I lost by six votes uh, to be regional venture um, so I didn't get on convocation I kind of took the long route I'm now on convocation um, I have the right to vote I don't vote because I believe in lawyer regulation self-regulation um, I think if they need me to vote then um, they're asking for something different than than they have. Now, I, I'll reserve my right to vote on something if I feel really strongly about it, but, um, you know, to the point where I think it's fundamental. Uh, but I have, I've chosen not to all the way along, including election for treasurer. Um, I, I just, so I do believe in, in lawyer self-regulation. To bring it into the government fold is to presume that the government will do a better job. And I think we could have a full debate on whether the end result on that um, as somebody who believes in, in, in letting businesses do what they're good at, letting individuals do what they're good at, uh, really government facilitates those who, who can't uh, do things for themselves or are in a vulnerable position, but otherwise stay out of the way of progress. So I, I think the lawyer, I have strong opinions on a whole lot of things. I won't, I won't level some of them uh, publicly, um, but, I, but I do believe in self-regulation. And I, I think um, the venture elections are very important. I, I really, I wish we had a higher turnout for, for, for those elections. Mm -hmm. So there is another side to lawyer competency besides regulation, besides education. It's technology. And this is something that I feel strongly about because I understand technology. And I think you understand technology. I, I, I'm sure that you would be a great... Uh, chief product officer in a technology company, given the product that you launched in 2020. Uh, so my question, uh, I think, will be not very complicated for you. Uh, 
the technology side of lawyer competency is very simple. A lot of lawyer competency issues are trivial or the mistakes are trivial. Lawyers putting wrong uh, information in the form. Lawyers um, starting proceedings on the wrong court. Lawyers missing deadlines. And uh, the, the problem, of course, is that small errors cause big consequences. That's the, one of the biggest sources of paranoia and anxiety for in the legal profession is that the smallest of mistakes can cause the biggest of losses, the biggest of consequences for our clients. What frustrates me is that a lot of these trivial base level mistakes can be eliminated with online forms, where the online form will simply reject an incorrect submission. And this is where this question comes in. And this is a question about digital transformation. You know, your ministry recently announced uh, an agenda for the digital transformation of our justice system. And so far, the digital transformation followed paper to PDF model. It's the paper to PDF model. Basically, we are modeling our traditional way of doing things using digital tools such as PDFs. And the problem with PDFs is lawyers open a Word document to create that PDF. And uh, the Word document gives the lawyer, especially a junior lawyer, a lawyer in his first year of practice, too much power. There are no constraints. Write whatever you want. I mean, there are some forms uh, that Ontario provides, but even these forms are loose. They are lax. And lawyers change them all the time. So is there any thinking within your team about making sure that digital transformation doesn't replicate the paper model, but instead um, goes digital first, where let's say we have a, a lawyer wants to file a notice of motion. Why not provide an online form that simply rejects incorrect submissions. When a lawyer provides um, uh, or wants to file a statement of claim, why not provide, this is a little bit more complicated, I admit it, than a notice of motion, but why not provide a form that will reject uh, incorrect submissions and even take it to the next level? And I know law firms do it internally. Why not have a form that rejects uh, unrecognized causes of action? And before everybody jumps at me and says, you know, novel causes of actions cannot be rejected, why don't we have an opt-in model where we have the simple um, form-based, similar to the old RIT system, um, uh, digital technology that uh, uh, doesn't let you go outside the bounds, for many cases, I would say 90% of the cases it will work. And then if you want to opt out, you can do your Microsoft Word, you can write your novel cause of action and whatnot. But in 90% of the cases, we will prevent um, simple mistakes from occurring and causing large losses. Is there any thinking like that in your office? Yeah, so in change management, we, and, and, you know, Susskind writes about this, about, about transformation, not automation, right? And same, same language you're using. I, I suspect you've read some of, some of his stuff. Um, and, and we didn't have the luxury of time. 
to, to do what I would have seen as a transformative process. We, so we went to automation on some things, which is, you know, and, and the team came forward. And when I say the team, it wasn't my direct team. It was people who were empowered within the bureaucracy. I was in a meeting one day and they announced that they had, they had automated 400 more forms um, on their own, like phenomenal stuff. Uh, that's the kind of thing that you want to see happen. So are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But we've, we've changed the culture. We've changed how we make change. And that is fundamentally important because now we can have a discussion about the transformation. And it includes everything from the rules of civil procedure to the, the product line and, and how people interact with the system. It may even take us to different resolution tools. Uh, we're, we're just not there yet, but we're building the backbone for it. And so ideas like that are still very welcome. It's not like we're done. We're barely getting started, to be honest. Um, we were so far behind. So yeah, I, I think that kind of thing, we're still, still open to it. Um, we're, we're trying to land some more of the automation, but we're at a point now where people are talking about more creative ideas and more transformative ideas. And we'll have to rely on our partners to have those discussions. Again, we'll have to hear from the profession. We'll have to hear from, from the judiciary what works for them uh, as, as we move through that transformation. But I can tell you, we are very lucky to have uh, the chief justices that we do who are all open to change and open to, to good change and fast. Um, and, and some of that comes from, from their direct experience. Uh, and, and Chief Justice Morowitz was on, a, you know, on teams for, for a decade, trying to create ways to move forward. Uh, Chief Justice Mazinov uh, was in the trenches uh, as, as a practicing lawyer and then, of course, as a judge. So, and Chief Justice Strathy is just, just a brilliant guy, quite frankly. He, he gets it right away. So we're so well positioned to do that transformation, but we're just not there yet. The uh, the government made a lot of changes to the rules of civil procedure. You know, and when I say the government, I, I of course acknowledge the role of of the rules committee of of the entire ecosystem of people who did this. But you are the leader, so and you're here today. So I'm talking to you about this. I'm thankful personally for uh, the abolition of facts. You. Uh, you took that out. That's really great. What are uh, your plans for the rules of civil procedure? Any Anything on the table right now? What's going to change? Lawyers are really anxious to know that. Yeah, I, I think it starts with the fact that we have different rules all around the province. Uh, regardless of what the rules say themselves, we have different practice directions everywhere. Um, so I think the discussion has to have, and the, rule, the rules committee is doing yeoman's work. Like they, they are doing a ton of work. I think I don't want to. I don't want to sort of start us off on the wrong foot on what should change. I I just want to make sure that the, the the parties, the groups, are having the discussion, and all weighed in as we go in terms of what what I think can happen. Um, but there's there's some stuff. I mean, I'll be straight up. I've been public about it. Uh, the accounting that we do for passing of accounts. Um, it's a lawyer made accounting system. It makes no sense to me, and I did a lot of it. Um, it works for some reasons. There's principles behind it. Um, I think we have to have a fulsome discussion with that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I don't, I will be a, a key part of the discussion, um, but I'm not really the, the one who's going to drive all of the ideas. I, I know 
the chief justice have their their ideas and and uh, again they're in the trenches i'm i'm a little bit removed from the day-to-day practice now it's actually um i rely on people who are who are actually doing it to see what the effect is i want to ask you something that's close to your heart because of your long practice as a real estate lawyer any innovations planned for our land title system yeah so it's interesting because land titles actually is part of uh, government consumer services mgcs but i brought a private members bill dealing with the planning act and then i got appointed as a minister so i had to advance it a different way and we made uh, with the help of sid troister and and, and law pro uh, ray leclerc and others um we we made 23 fundamental changes to the planning act and that's because we were practicing lawyers we knew what the traps were what the problems were um in in terms of land titles itself I'm not advancing any particular change, partly because it's not my ministry, uh, but any ideas I get, I certainly talk to, to the minister responsible and if I can, can help with that. And Jeff Lem's doing a you know, tremendous job as director of land titles, uh, managing the, the challenges that we've had. The, their track record through, through COVID is remarkable. Their uptime is really remarkable. You know, there is a common uh, complaint about the state of modern society, and it has to do with short-term thinking. People complain that there is not no long-term thinking anymore. Sitting here today, can you tell us where you see the justice system in Ontario in 10 years? Well, again, prefaced on, on the fact that they're not going to be listening to my thinking in 10 years, um, but the trajectory that we're on is that we will be a jurisdiction where businesses and people can have their matters resolved in a, in a predictable, efficient way so that they can get back to their lives. Um, we know that long matters, long standing trials, family issues, they get worse, they don't get better with time. So we need to be responsive, need to be accessible, and we need to be efficient. And that the, the economic spinoffs of that and the social spin-offs of that, uh, the way people interact with the system. We're building justice centers. We're working with diversion programs in the criminal world. We're, we're trying to create the tools that put people back in a better spot, um, respect their dignity and don't grind them. Don't have a, a, a process uh, result that we have an actual just result at the end of the day, whatever the area is. Minister Downey, I want to thank you for this wonderful interview. I was certainly provided with a lot of insight. I really appreciate this firsthand account from you as the Attorney General of Ontario, as the Minister in, in, in the Ontario's government. Uh, thank you so much, Minister. Thank you for your time. It's great.